Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week's sermon is called, Let's Not Rest on Our Laurels. Join us in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, to be completely honest, every year, I'm just going to be transparent, every year after missions revival, it's, it's difficult to really know exactly what should the first message be after, after we've swelled up, after we've gotten all pumped up and excited and what is really the message, what should you speak on, you know, when it comes to uh, the very next service after a missions revival, and it's, it's always very difficult, and it's no, no, uh, no different this year, it's, this year has not been an exception, if you please, because last year, when I think about it, our Lord blessed more than I could have even imagined. I shared that last Sunday morning as we, uh, as we rejoiced over the faith promise I rejoiced in how much, I couldn't believe how much the Lord blessed by people who had never exercised faith by giving to missions, actually stepped out and did that last week. And it was evidenced by how the church came together. I mean, we welcomed three wonderful missionary families. I mean, uh, they were, we were able to encourage them. I can tell you, every one of those missionary couples and families were encouraged. They were thankful for the opportunity to be here. But not only did we encourage them, they were an inspiration and an encouragement to us. In fact, I would even dare say they challenged us. Challenged us to, to do more for the cause of Christ. And it was wonderful to me because the majority of our families, the majority of our families made an effort to be here. They made an effort to participate. And the majority of our families actually exercised faith last week. Man, what more could we ask for? And then our great God did what he always does, didn't he? He showed up right on time. He's never late. He's not early. He showed up right on time and did what only he could do. And he blessed and we saw the moving of the Holy Spirit and people stepping out by faith. And so whenever we as believers, here's, the, here's where I'm getting to, whenever we as believers experience any measure of individual or corporate success, the tendency, spiritually speaking, is to sit back. Isn't it? The tendency is to sit back, to prop the feet up, to relax, or to take a rest. And so hence the title of my message this morning if they'll put it up, is let's not rest on our laurels. Let's not rest on our laurels. Man, it was a great week, and we could celebrate what God did, but I would say to you, we don't want to rest on our laurels. You see, uh, I think about in ancient Greece, uh, you see the, the little graphic of the laurel wreath there. In ancient Greece, victorious athletes were presented with laurel wreaths to wear. They were and still are a sign of great accomplishment. And after somebody ran a race or participated in their particular athletic event, if they were successful in that event, they would be given this laurel wreath. Therefore, we know the idea or the idiom, uh, that phrase, resting on one's laurel, refers to a person who gets a little lazy, who gets a little comfortable, maybe a little bit complacent about what could be achieved because they're so busy celebrating what has already been achieved. And so there's a danger there for us, and we have to be careful. And I was thinking about this topic of resting on our laurels, and 
I was reminded of that department. I was telling Mark Workman, I was reminded of that department in school that I wanted to stay away from at all costs. There were two departments that I wanted to stay away from. You know, in high school, I was very involved in music and uh, played the trombone and sang and did a, a lot of different things. And so I was involved in drama and theater and I, I wrestled. And so sports and music was kind of my thing, baseball, wrestling, and music and and there were two departments that I typically liked to stay away from. The first one was the math department. Uh, I was like, what maths do I have to have to graduate? They're like, well, don't you want to take the maths that you need for college? No. No, I just want to get out of this school. <laughs> what math do I need to graduate? And the other department that I really didn't have an affinity with was the science department. Uh, and what's crazy is these are the two departments that both of my boys, and especially my youngest son, he really likes math and science. It's kind of crazy, you know, he, he, here's a kid who wants to be an engineer, and I'm like, you know, so he's doing the pre-calculus and the chemistry and all those types of things, and I'm like, please no, please no. But I was reminded of that department that I wanted to stay away from, and I was thinking about, now this is really going to get crazy because I'm no authority on science, but I was thinking about Newton's law, his laws of motion. And his law of motion, the first law simply states this. It says, unless acted upon by a force, an object at rest will stay at rest, and an object in motion will stay in motion. In other words, unless someone or something does something to change things, something that is stationary will remain stationary, and something that is moving will keep on moving. And so I have a science room I have set up here, constructed with the help of Travis Owens, my beautiful uh, science laboratory. And I've placed a hymn book on my lab desk. And the law of motion says that unless something happens, unless someone or something comes along to change the status or the situation of this book, that book will remain here. By the way, a little nugget on the side. That's what happens to our Bible Monday through Saturday when we take it home and we just sit it there. If we don't pick it up, that's not the message. That's just a sidebar. So that book would stay right there in the science laboratory. But watch what happens. If I change the book and I start applying simple force to the book. Watch what happens to the book. It starts to move. Now the book's reality is moving. The book wants to keep moving. And so we see Newton's law of motion taking effect. Something that's stationary remains that way unless something or someone comes to change its position. The same thing is true. Something that is moving will continue that way unless something or someone does something or impedes it or changes its direction. But now I want you to notice something else. If I apply force to this book in Greg's little science laboratory, and the book is moving, we have that law of motion enacted. But soon and very soon, there's another law that's going to take effect. What is it? It's the law of gravity. You see, the law of gravity just circumvented the law of motion. 
You say, what's the point? What's the big deal of your little science experiment this morning? The big deal, my friends, the book in this metaphor is me. The book in this metaphor is you. It's every one of us. An object that remains stationary unless someone or something changes its position will stay right that way. But if we are moving, catch this, if we are moving and we are walking by faith and we continue to walk by faith, the tendency is that we're going to keep walking by faith unless something gets in our way and impedes that progress in our life. Listen, uh, if we're not careful, I start thinking about, you know, walking by faith. We can rejoice in what God is doing and what he has done. If we're not careful, uh, when we start to encounter hardships, when we start to encounter resistance, when we start to encounter sickness and difficulties, if we're not careful, we will begin to lose our momentum. Just like the book loses its momentum, if I stop pushing the book, the book stops. If I stop applying a certain level of force, the book stops. The same thing is true in our lives spiritually. If we, can, if we stop doing what we were doing, then we will stop spiritually. Listen, in the negative aspects of inertia take place. In fact, I had a, a little squishy ball in the office the other day, and sometimes I like to uh, give my science experiments and, and my little theological uh, ramblings to uh, my wife and Abby. And Abby came in, and I pulled out the ball, and I said, See, Abby, this is what happens. The law of inertia is taking place right now. I said, You see, it takes more force to get that ball rolling than it does to keep the ball rolling. And so the danger for us, spiritually, resting on our laurels, is we're moving like this during missions revival. If we come to a complete stop the week after, then guess what? It's going to take more effort to get us moving again, than it would be to just keep on moving, to keep walking by faith. And so, hence the title, let's not rest on our laurels. Let's keep our spiritual momentum going. Listen, I think on the other end of the spectrum, this idea of momentum, some of you may recall a couple of years ago, I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago, excuse me, I shared with you Dave Ramsey Dave Ramsey, financial guru and speaker, I shared with you Dave Ramsey's equation on momentum. Guys, if you could show that equation, I want to remind people what Dave Ramsey said. What he said there in this equation, if you've never seen it before, focused intensity over time. This is how you read it. Focused intensity over time multiplied by God equals momentum. Think about this. Consider this again. Focused intensity over a period of time multiplied by God. You see, because God takes what we offer and he multiplies it. Isn't that what he did with the fish and the bread? When the little lad came to Jesus, he took the bread and the fishes and he lifted it up towards heaven and he blessed it and then he gave it to his disciples and he said, go and feed them. And the disciples must have been like, are you crazy? There's... 10, 15,000 people here. How are we going to do this? And it just kept on multiplying. You see, when we allow our momentum to be in the hands of God, 
things begin to take place. Over the past month, we've been energized and encouraged from God's Word to walk in obedience. That whole idea of obedient message after obedient message after obedient message. The Holy Spirit has guided our steps and is moving us and has us moving in the right direction as a body of believers. And I'm just crazy enough to think that we ought to keep moving by faith. Listen, I don't want to shut it down just because it's October the 9th. I want to keep moving by faith just as if this Sunday, today, is as important as last Sunday because it is. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do we need to do? What are some things that will enable us to keep this sense of spiritual momentum going. Notice our text this morning. Very, very familiar passage of text in Hebrew chapter 12, verses number 1 and 2. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice with me very quickly, notice the very first verse there. Verse number one, notice the very first word. The word is wherefore. That word wherefore is taken from the exact same Greek root word that's used over and over in the New Testament, and it is... It translated for us in English as the word therefore. And if anybody knows me, they know that whenever we see the word therefore in Scripture, we must ask what it is there for. The same is true here in this verse. You see, the writer of Hebrews says wherefore. In the context of this passage... Wherefore is essentially saying consequently. So what is it saying consequently about? You have to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Does anybody recall what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about? Say it out loud. So the writer of Hebrews is saying wherefore... Since I just got done telling you about faith, since I just got done sharing a bunch of examples of faith, since I just got done telling you and teaching you and encouraging you to walk by faith, he says, wherefore? He says, go back, think about what you learned in chapter 11. And if we look back in chapter 11, I'm reminded that that we're, first of all, this faith journey that you and I are on, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. Our faith journey is a marathon, and we see this in chapter 11. The finish line comes when you and I cross over from this life to the next. The word that wherefore is referring back to chapter 11. And so, here's note takers, here's what I want to give you this morning. If we're going to be able to maintain our momentum, so to speak, okay, then first of all, we will no doubt need to be encouraged. Anybody here need encouragement today? I do. I need people to encourage me all the time. Listen, there are enough things fighting against me, not as pastor, but just as Greg. I got things that fight against me every day. Do you think the devil likes the fact that the son of a Methodist minister went in the military, retired out of the military, went to Bible college, and now is serving serving Christ full-time as a pastor? Do you think the devil likes that? Absolutely not. And some of us wonder why we fight against the devil. Guess what? 
We all fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so I need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. And so the writer of Hebrews is actually saying, be encouraged. You say, well, I don't get that. Well, notice verse number one. Verse number one says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed or compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I remember running in the Marine Corps. I remember running in the Army. I remember at, uh, after I finished Marine Corps boot camp at Paris Island, long, long time ago, they sent me to Lackland Air Force Base, to the law enforcement school. I was military police and was heading to law enforcement school. And I remember that when I got there, the colonel, he stands up and he starts talking about the one student who's going to receive the Distinguished Honor Graduate Award. And he starts sharing all that will happen to that individual. Well, guys, just so you know, I had no guarantees going in the Marine Corps. Many of you that don't know the story, I left the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps. Now, you're going to say, what an idiot, but you know what? God's in charge. I joined the Marine Corps after my current wife, who I was dating at the time, broke up with me. I said, I got to get out of this place. And that Marine Corps, and listen, I had college scholarships for music left and right. But I knew one thing. I knew the Marine Corps could get me out of there quicker than any college scholarship. And so I called that crazy recruiter. I said, hey, you may not remember me. Oh, he remembered me. Oh, he remembered me real quick. He came with the paperwork and he said, he said, man, we get you signed up real quick. And I said, well, what kind of jobs do you have? And he said, well, you, we can make you a rifleman. I said, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to be no rifleman. I said, I watch him on TV. You ever see the rifleman back in the day? I'm telling my age now. Oh, rifleman. He said, no, no, we can make you right. He said, you, you need to take this test and we'll put you in. So I took the test. Long story short, I was going to military police. They sent me to Lackland Air Force Base. This guy, long story short, he says, here's what's going to be done to the honor graduate. So I look at the gunnery sergeant. I look across the room at him. As soon as the colonel says, distinguished honor graduate, who am I? I go, I didn't do that, by the way. I said, I looked at him like this, and this guy is holding a knife this long. This is a guy who cut his fingernails with that knife. And he's sitting over, he's sitting over, and he's got a little pinch of snuff under his, you know, under his lip. And he's sitting there, and he's looking at me, and he's like snarling at me. And I'm like, eh, and he's kind of an angry looking guy. And the man says, the distinguished honor graduate's getting this. I kind of smile at him, and I said, And he says, absolutely not. You see, because the distinguished honor graduate was going to get meritoriously promoted. I told you, I had no guarantees going in. I was what they call a slick sleeve private. I didn't even have one stripe. I had zilcho stripes. But even I didn't do the math. God is such a good God. Six months after you're in, hello, idiot. Six months after you're in, they feel sorry for you and they give you one stripe in the Marine Corps and you become what is known as a private, big deal, first class. The day before I graduated, are you ready for this? I graduated that on June the 2nd. On June the 1st, I got promoted to PFC. The very next day was graduation. 
Well, on June the 1st, we had to take our final physical fitness test, which included a three-mile run. I had to beat another student. He and I were tied academically for this position. I beat him on pull-ups because I could do a lot of pull-ups. He beat me on sit-ups. So we're ready to run this three-mile race for a stripe. And I'm not the world's fastest runner. So I take off. And this gunnery sergeant who remembered me saying what I said back at the beginning of class, he is driving his car along the route, and he's laughing at me. He's jeering me. Can I tell you, I ran three miles, the fastest I ever ran it in my life. I ran it in 17 minutes and 52 seconds. That was the last time I ever ran, 17 minutes and 52 seconds. I was running for my life, guys. So, God blessed. I went from PFC to Lance Corporal in less than 24 hours. God amazingly blessed. I went to school with no stripes and came back. I was at E3. I thought life was great. Listen, that's what we call forced encouragement. The writer of Hebrews is not talking about forced encouragement. He is talking about what you saw in chapter 11, which should encourage you to run the race that is set before you based on the faith of those that went before you. If you look at chapter 11... In a road or track race, listen, we run in competition with one another. But in chapter 11, we see that the journey of faith, we do not run in competition, but we run to encourage one another. Faithful Christians have gone before you, they've gone before me, and they have not done so to defeat us. It's not like my mom went to heaven 40 years ago to say, Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I beat you. No, she went on to heaven because she set an example of a godly woman who walked by faith. And she said, Son, you may be angry now, you may be upset with God, but you can walk by faith. I gave my life to Christ. My life has been different. I think about the faithful runners of chapter 11. You remember them? Some people say, do you have a favorite? I do. I do. My favorite is, is Enoch. <laughs> the Lord translated him. He was so faithful. He was so pleasing to God. God said, no, 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 just come on. I've told my wife many times, man, I wish God would just do that with me. But for God to do that with me, God would have to be as pleased with me, which is a sobering thought. God would have to be pleased with my walk, and I would have to be living a life like Enoch lived, and a life that was faithful. I think of Abel, and Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and on and on. We think of Joseph, and Moses, and Rahab, and the list could go on. These witnesses, they believed in God. They stood for God. They endured all kind of trials, and temptations, and opposition for God. To bring him glory, to bring him honor. These witnesses had great faith, great motivation, great consistency. They had great self-control. Look with me, flip back over one page to Hebrews chapter 11. Notice what verse 32 and following says. And we'll not belabor the point, I'm going to move right on. But in verse 32 it says, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith, 
Notice what they did. It says they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned the flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others, it goes on, it says, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Notice what verse 38 says, of whom the world was not worthy. The Bible says they wandered in deserts and in mountains, and in dens, and in caves of the earth. The writer of Hebrews is telling us in chapter 12, when he says, Wherefore, seeing you so also compassed about such a great a cloud of witnesses, he's saying, look back to chapter 11. These are the witnesses. These are the ones that are in the Colosseum, if you please. They're the ones that are watching. They're the ones that are counting on you. They're the ones that are counting on me to walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, we can be encouraged by those who have set the example. And we can be encouraged by one another as well. I think in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Bible reveals that Paul, he had sent Timothy to the church at Thessalonica. And the reason he sent Timothy, he said, Timothy, I need you to go to strengthen that church, to comfort and encourage that church, and to keep them from being moved by their afflictions, uh, you know, and their troubles with, that they were facing. See, Paul knew that even the church at Thessalonica needed encouragement. And you and I are no different. The church at Battlefield Baptist Church, that church, we need to be encouraged, don't we? If we're going to keep the momentum going, I need you to encourage me, and I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, saying walk by faith. You can walk by faith. Listen, we all face affliction from time to time. That's why we need to be encouraged. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says this in verse number 9 and following. It says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Notice, here's that word again, verse number 11. Wherefore? Consequently, he's saying it again. He's saying, consequently, comfort or support yourselves together and edify. That word edify means build up one another, even as also you do. The very idea that, that Paul would say comfort yourself, the idea that he would use that same word means that there was something discomforting going on. Is there any discomfort in the room today? I guarantee you there's people who are physically discomfortable this morning. Susan, bless your heart. I've been praying for Susan. She fell and broke her hip, had surgery, put a pin in it, and there she sits back here this morning. I know that that is not comfortable. <laughs> but God's still on his throne. He's still on his throne as you face that. You know, the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews, he not only says this in 1 Thessalonians to comfort one another, but if you remember, it's not a very popular passage to go to when you come to worship, but notice what chapter 10 says. In verses 23 and following, the writer of Hebrews says this, guys, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
And let us, what does it say we need to do? Not only comfort and edify from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says here in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Well, if I consider your needs greater than my needs, and you consider my needs greater than I do, then we're going to be meeting one another's needs, aren't we? Sounds like a little bit like marriage. My wife will tell you, bless her heart, she's not feeling well today and she's in the bed. She woke up dizzy and she's been sick. That's why I've been sleeping on the couch the past two nights. But if you can tell, that sickness is trying to even get me from the bedroom into the couch. When I put her needs in front of my needs and she puts my needs in front of her needs, man, marriage is grand. You know when marriage gets to be a sticky wicket? When I want, I want my way all the time. When I want to do what Greg wants to do all the time. When I want the supper that I want all the time. You know, that special dish that she makes. See, we have to work together. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us even as a church. It says, consider one another and provoke unto love and to good works. Verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Look around the room. We all need encouragement. And I guarantee you, the person that normally sits there is not being encouraged by you today because they're not there. My wife, who you see sits right here, she's not being encouraged by that mutual edification today because she's not here. And so we need to consider her and pray for her. And provoke her unto love and to good works. Listen, I don't understand it. Tom and I were talking about before service. He said, I don't understand how people without Christ do it. And you know what I said? My response, I don't, I, I'm, agree, I'm in agreement with him. I don't understand how people who claim the name of Christ don't want to worship him. I really don't. How, how can you tell me that you love God and you love his word and you love people and yet you never want to be around people, you never want to be in God's word, and you certainly never want to worship God? And I'm speaking to the people who might be listening on the podcast because you're actually here. But I know one thing. Over the past three years, as Joe shares the attendance numbers with me and stuff like that, on a weekly basis, it would boggle your mind. It boggled my mind a few weeks ago. We had 439 for worship in September. The very next week, we had 338. 101 people difference. What is going on where we make a choice that everything else is more important than God? The only way we are going to be encouraged, the only way we're going to be able to keep the proverbial book going is to keep it going. You see, if we're worshiping God week number one and we stop, and then we come back week number four, and then we stop, and then six weeks later we come back and we say, I'm back, Pastor. It's not good for you. Listen, does it hurt me not to see you? Yes, because I'm flesh. It hurts me, but it hurts you worse. It hurts you worse. Where, what happened to the fact that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and we just keep on going? See, the writer of Hebrews says, the only way you're going to be able to continue the spiritual momentum is to be encouraged. And he says, let me encourage you. There's a whole cloud of witnesses. 
And they're cheering you on. They're screaming, go, go, go. Thank you for giving to the Lord. We must be encouraged. Secondly, we need to, be, we need to stay away. We need to stay away from the things that slow us down and get us off track. Look at verse number one. And I got to make quick work of this. Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Notice what it says. Let us lay aside every weight, number one, and then secondly, the sin which doth easily beset us. Listen, our momentum slows down and even stops when we allow ourselves to be weighted down with excess baggage and sin. And I put down on my notes, excess baggage is unnecessary. By the way, anybody flown lately? Anybody flown Lately, nobody flies on a plane lately? Anybody ever tried to check excess baggage? You, not on, used to be you got your baggage on free. Now you got to pay for your first bag. You, I dare you to try to take excess baggage. Jared went on vacation. He was going down to Tennessee to visit family. He called, I think it's American Airlines. Was it American or United? He was flying United, and listen... Uh, this isn't bad about United. They're all, all the same. He called them to see about taking his guitar because he, he, he was just going to take a, a carry-on or whatever. And he called $2,000. What was it? Uh, he said, oh, $225? Oh, yeah, he's cheap, 2000 Yeah, that's right. You're right. So it's 225 his plane ticket was $200. It was costing more to take his... That's right, Travis, thank you. It was costing more to take his guitar than it was to actually get him there and back. And by the way, it was two twenty-five one one way. It's in the office. He didn't take it. He's strumming an air guitar this morning. Excess baggage is unnecessary. It's spiritually unnecessary and ends up costing us more. You can look through Scripture, it costs us more. So excess baggage gets in the way and hinders our spiritual growth. Have you ever tried, you take, you take the one that goes in the overhead bin and then I've seen ladies do this. Ladies, they, they take a purse, and my wife's no different. They have a purse that looks like the kitchen sink. That's not a purse. It's a coach bag. It's a kitchen sink. And they try and stuff it under the seat in front of them, and then they wonder why they don't have any foot room. It hinders. It's not only gets in your way, it hinders you. It hinders your walk. Excess baggage hinders our walk, our spiritual growth. Excess baggage slows our momentum. Listen, the world, the flesh, and the devil, like I said, they want us to be stuck in the mud. But Jesus Christ said that he came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. Listen, freedom from our past failures and successes. We need freedom from our past successes because if we don't, we're destined to rest on our laurels, right? And so we need that freedom. We need freedom from our grief and loss, freedom from our worries and fears, our poor attitudes and anger, our love of money and material things. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 in verse number 28 and following, he said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think about that classic 
verse that we like to claim all the time in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where the Lord says for us to cast all our cares on Him because He cares for us. What He's saying is get rid of the excess baggage. You don't need it. And then also, excess baggage is typically sinful. It's typically sinful. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, get rid of that sin that so easily besets you. By the way, the sin that easily besets me may not be the same sin that could easily beset you. We are all different. And so he says, you got to get rid of that. you got to put that to death. you got to mortify the deeds of the flesh, as, as Paul wrote to the church at Coloss in chapter 3, verse 5. I think about that example, and we're not going to go there just because of time. But I think about that example in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. And Cain, he brings, his, he brings his offering to God. And God says, nope, nope, there's a heart problem. Cain, there's some excess baggage going on in your life you need to do differently. You need to check your heart. You need to go back and do what you were doing again. And Cain was mad, and you know the rest of the story. But in that passage, what's really cool is the Lord says, why are you, why are you so mad? If you'll just do right, it's going to be okay. But if you don't do right, Satan is literally lying at your door. He's waiting to devour you, to deceive you, to destroy you, to rule your life. And so we've got to get rid of those things that will get us off track. And then number three, we need to decide never to give in to the rigors of the race. When I was running that three miles in Lackland Air Force Base, I guarantee you, I got about two and a half miles in, and for, I'll just put it this way to be nice, I got sick in the middle of running, and I kept on running. Because that was something that was important to me. That was a silly, measly stripe. In the grand scheme of things, and somebody much smarter and more connected to it because I've, I've left that world, the difference between the pay for a PFC and a Lance Corporal is about like that. It wasn't like I was going to make a lot of extra dough. But you see, I had created this thing that was so important in my mind what about us how important is jesus to us see we can't give in when we face the rigors of life the bible says let us run with patience in verse one let us run with patience the race that's set before us there's no time to rest on our laurels real faith perseveres no matter what we face that's why we need encouragement That's why we need one another. That's why we need to look back to this cloud of witnesses. That's why we need to take a trip down memory lane in that that faith hall of fame chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 to be encouraged. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I shared it last week. Paul said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, giving in to the rigors of the race stops our momentum and should never be an option. You say, well, I'm weak. I can't take one more step. I've been there. Last night, Casey will tell you, that's where I was when I got home. My fault, my fault. I had not eaten properly yesterday. And so when you don't eat, guess what? Blood sugar gets low, 
You start feeling woozy, and I was racing against time to run to the store and get a lot of things because Krista was sick, and I was at that point where I felt like I was going to pass out, and I felt weak. But listen, we are more than conquerors through Christ. The Bible tells me in Isaiah chapter 40, throw it up on the screen. The Bible reminds us in verse 29 and following that he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But, notice verse 31, but, I love the word but in Scripture. It says, but they that wait upon the Lord. Isn't that what the song said today? God, you are God. When I don't even feel you, when I don't see you, when I can't understand it. And then Tracy ended the song by saying, and I will wait, knowing that you are in control. This is what the, the Isaiah is saying. It says here, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings as eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm just crazy enough to believe that if we'll just let God be God, he'll do extraordinary things in and through a bunch of ordinary people. How do I know that? Because he's done it in the past. Man, you think about that ragtag group of disciples that he put together. That was no accident. It's no accident, those fishermen that he called. And they left their nets and they followed him. It was no accident when he went and he saw Matthew sitting at the table of the customer. He said, get up. You're done. You're done being a tax collector. Time to follow me. It's no accident. He had a plan for their lives. They were ordinary individuals, and he wants to do the same thing through you and I. And then finally, if we're going to maintain our momentum, we're not only going to have to be encouraged, we're not only going to have to stay away from the things that slow us down or get us off track, and we're going to have to decide never to give in. I think that one of the biggest things is we're going to have to be able to remain focused on Jesus. We need to remain focused. Look at what verse number two says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, that, that, that word there boggles the mind, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, there's only one that we should focus our attention on, and his name is and will always be Jesus. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, when he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Listen, by the way, we're never going to follow the example of the Lord unless we're developing our relationship with him. I'll never follow Jesus' example if I don't know what his example is. And the only way we know about his example is to be in his word. The only way that we're going to know about his example is to walk as Jesus walked. And guess what? When I walk as Jesus walked, that's going to encourage you. When you walk as Jesus walked, that's going to encourage me. And when we walk as Jesus walked, our neighbors who are lost, our co-workers who are lost, people that are all around us that want nothing to do with the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, they might actually say, you know what? I actually need that. The reason more people don't come to a place of worship like this, I believe, is because they don't see us living a life that's pleasing to God. We need to remain focused. I like what one person said when they said this. Life doesn't come with an autofocus option. You know, like the cameras. Now, the cameras these days, even your cell phone. 
use your cell phone, it automatically focuses. He said this, he said, life doesn't come with an autofocus option. We cannot simply point and shoot. Real life requires manual focus. It requires effort on our part. We must choose what to focus our attention on, and because focus requires concentration. He says we must be intentional with our focus, and then, after we're intentional with our focus, allow God to bring things that matter into full view. Apostle Paul, and I close in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he says in verse number 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. Man, he had accomplished a lot of great things in his life. The Lord had taken him from Saul and had made him Paul. He had accomplished a great deal for the Lord. The Holy Spirit had, had breathed into Paul's life and caused him to write most of the New Testament that we have for us. And he says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. You can figure that out on your own. And he says that I may win Christ. He says, hey, listen, I got rid of the things that were excess in my life. I got rid of the things that were hindering my walk. And I count those things, I may have attained some things, but I count those things as dung. I'm focused on Jesus. And in fact, if you go just a few verses later, in verse 13 and 14, if you'll show those verses, we know that Jesus, he was focused on his mission. You remember because it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That was Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We know he was focused. But Paul, he says in verse 13 and 14, His focus was just as real on the mission that he had. It says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before, he says, I press toward the mark, the scopas. You remember a couple of years ago, I borrowed uh, um, uh, Brother Rod's rifle scope and I brought it up here. This is what Paul's saying. He says, I press towards the mark. That word mark is the word skopos, which actually refers to putting something between the crosshairs in our sight. Paul says, I'm focused on Christ. He says, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm focused on his thoughts. I'm focused on his purpose. I'm focused on his counsel, his word that he speaks into my life every day. Those are the things that I'm focused on. And folks, when you and I encourage one another, when you and I stay away from the things that will get us off track and slow us down, when you and I decide and make a decision like grown-ups, like my grandpa said, be a grown-up. You're a grown-up now. It's time to put away childish things. By the way, that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. But guess what? I'm not a child anymore. It's time to do grown-up things. When we decide not to give in, The race will be tough. It was tough in the physical road races that I ran. And I had to run those silly physical fitness tests multiple times a year for the rest of the time I was in the military to see if I was still physically fit. I wonder how we would do if we ran a road race spiritually. 
Are we physically fit? Are we where we need to be? Let's not lose the momentum that we have gained over the past month. Let's keep pressing toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said there. Listen, and I think greatest way that we'll do that is to remain focused. Don't focus on what I do. If you focus on anything, focus on how I follow Christ. See, because your faith better not be built on Greg. If your faith is built on a person, sooner or later that person will let you down. But my God will never let you down. His word is true, and what he says in his word, he promises to do. I said in our class this morning, he's not, he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Oh, absolutely he will. Let's maintain our momentum. Let's not rest on our laurels. Yes, the decorations will come down. And you know, I get a little sad when we tear the decorations down. Because then it seems so empty in here. So bare. But can I encourage you to look at the faces of these banners? It doesn't matter whether they're on the wall or up here in storage until the next time we pull them out. Those faces represent people all around the world that still need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It starts right across the street from where you live. It starts in the very next cubicle to you at work. It starts with a guy. I shook the hand of a guy last night. I can, I can guarantee you, he and I probably do not see eye to eye on a lot of things. But I shook his hand. And he said, hey, my name's Paul. I said, hey, I said, my name's Greg. And I met him in the store last night. Listen, what are we doing to reach out to people, to encourage people? It starts when we walk out these doors. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.